following teaching is from the Warrior's Heart Bible Study for Men. You can find us on the web at warriorsheart.org. We hope you have a great day. In 1848, people that lived near Niagara Falls um, woke up one morning to a very um, strange sound, almost sheer quiet, for whatever reason, that Niagara Falls stopped flowing, and many of the experts didn't have a clue as to what happened. For 40 hours, the falls didn't even provide a trickle. And eventually they found out that there was something upstream uh, that caused the blockage. And of course, they dealt with it and the falls began to flow again as they had done for years. And as I thought about that information, I, I just I thought about something this morning to just kind of um, uh, to use as our um, hook or our opening thought. When I thought about that, it reminded me of what oftentimes happens when I go out to my backyard to water my plants. I've got to tell you, my wife is um, unbelievable with plants, and um, so it's my job to, you know, every once in a while I'll go out there and water them and, you know, not to put too much on them. But not too long ago, I went out to water them, as I often do, and nothing happened. And so I figured, well, you know, maybe I didn't turn the, you know, turn the faucet on as strong as I needed to, as far as I needed to do. And come to find out that that was not really the problem. The problem was, as many of you guys probably already know, it was just a little kink in the hose. And so once I twisted it, the water flowed, you know, perfectly and everything was great. And so I want to use that to ask a question this morning, and that is, is there any kink in your life, just like what happened in Niagara Falls, to stop the flow of God's spirit in your life? Because if truth be told, no matter how much we know, no matter how much experience that we have in ministry and service to the Lord. John chapter 15, verse 5 says, Without me, you can do nothing. And so apart from the power of the Holy Spirit of God, we all in this room are impotent. And so I want you to think about your own life this morning. Could there be anything or is there anything in your life that might hinder the flow of God's spirit? If so, I challenge you, you know, deal with that. Deal with that as quickly as possible. And if you would, just allow me to offer a prayer for all of us. Because I wouldn't be surprised if we could all in this room, if we could just totally be transparent with each other that we would find out that there are some things that are going on in our lives that could possibly hinder the flow of God's spirit. I'll never forget listening to 
Dr. Chuck Swindoll. And one of the things that he said to me, especially as I'm listening to it, I'm listening to it from a pastor's perspective because I was still pastoring at the time in Dallas. And he said that once a year, he gets together with three other pastors around the country that are very, very good friends of his. And he says they choose some location that is only known to them and their wives. And he says, with these three men, and watch this, and these three men only, that they've made a covenant with each other of total transparency, absolute nakedness between four men. And what surprised me about it was that I assumed that as a pastor, he should be able to have men within his own church that he could have that level of transparency with. But it was interesting that he said you have to be extremely careful who you're transparent with because every man is not spiritually mature enough to handle that level of transparency. And so they've made a commitment, they've made a covenant with each other that they could ask each other any question. Chuck, have you thought anything? Have you allowed your eyes to see anything? Have you done anything where your integrity was challenged or your integrity was violated? Anything. And Dr. Swindoll has to answer any of those questions made by those other three men of God. And I wonder this morning, do you have anyone in your life like that, that you can totally pull back the covers, take off the mask and say, you know, I'm really glad that you're in my life because I'm really struggling with some stuff between me and my wife. I'm struggling with stuff between me and my supervisor or myself and my company. Guys, if I told you, you'd be surprised at what I see at Dallas Seminary. Students whose papers I read, and they're in their second year of seminary, and they're still struggling with pornography. They're about ready to graduate, and, and they're concerned that once they walk across the stage and get their degree and shake Dr. Bailey's hand, that maybe just a few months later that they'll find themselves being divorced. And I was the first person that they had the courage in a paper to write this statement and say, Dr. Bowden, I'm struggling in this area. The difficulty is it's just one of me. And oftentimes what I do when I get something like that, I'll ask the guy to come into the office and let's just talk. One young man came into the office and we talked, and he said, if my wife only knew that I've been struggling with this for the last 10 years. And what she doesn't know is that every time she goes out of town, I'm back on the computer again looking at nude pictures. Is there anything in your life? Do you have anyone in your life that you're not afraid to come to that brother and say, man, will you pray for me? Last, before I pray, I was 29 years old. This is way back in the Stone Age, 1979, 29 years old. 
wow, that makes me, wow, 65? Wow, 65. Never thought I'd make it 65. Young pastorate, I had just read a book about Jesus being transparent with the disciples. 29, first pastorate. I approached one of the young elders. We were all young. And so I'll just call him James. James, um, I'd like for you to pray for me. So James says, well, pastor, well, what would you like for me to pray for you about? I said, well, James, I'm noticing that I'm looking at some of the ladies in the church a little bit too long. And I haven't done anything. I haven't committed adultery against my wife, but I'm just nervous that I know it's not right for me to look at these women that are not my wife in this way. So would you pray for me? Would you hold me accountable? Two weeks later, he came back to me and said, Pastor, I just need to let you know that I'm leaving the church. So I'm shocked, surprised, and so I asked him, could you just tell me? Watch what he says. He says, I could not continue to be in leadership under a pastor that struggles with what you're struggling with. So in in his mind, if you're going to be the leader, guess what? You can't have any struggles. And if you do, you definitely can't have any struggles with women. And it helped me even later years as I heard Dr. Swindoll talk about that. It made sense to me. Because when James says, confess your faults one to another, the caveat of that verse is, as you're confessing, make sure you're confessing to someone that's mature enough to handle what it is that you're confessing. Because everyone is not mature enough. So I want to pray for you this morning, because as we start talking about Daniel, you're going to, I hope, see some things in yourself. I want you to ask some questions about yourself. And I want you to be able to answer that if there's anything in your life that's hindering the flow of God. That you will ask the Lord, give me someone. That I can approach. That can hold me accountable that will pray for me, not judge me to help me deal with this particular issue. Father, I ask this morning, these are my brothers in Christ. We have been washed in the same blood, which means that we're part of the same family. And Lord, that does my heart well. Because it lets me know when we get to heaven, there won't be certain sections for certain people. We won't have to cross the railroad tracks over to those people where they live. Because we'll all be living in the same city. No more moon, no more sun, no more stars. Because the Bible says that you're going to be our light. We're going to be together. Enjoying you and enjoying the fellowship with each other. So, Father, it seems to me that since that's the way it's going to be when we get there, maybe we ought to start practicing it down here. So it does my heart good to see these brothers in this room this morning. But, Father, in the midst of this many men, there's bound to be a man or some men that are struggling with some stuff. Some stuff that they're doing their best to hide. 
hide either because they just don't want anyone to know or hiding because they're afraid that if they were to tell someone with how they would be viewed. And so they're struggling with it alone. And Father, you never intended for us to deal with anything alone. The first negative thing you said after all these good things on day one through six, you said it's not good for man to be alone. Even when we punish people, we punish people, we put them in solitary confinement alone because being alone is not good. So, Lord, if we are struggling with anything this morning that could hinder the flow of your spirit. Send us someone that we could trust, that we could open up to and say, do you really want to know what's going on with me? Do you have time? Let me share with you some of my struggles. And then my prayer would be that you would encourage me and that you would walk with me so we can get to the other side and I can look back and say, God is a deliverer. Thank you for this great opportunity. In Jesus name, I pray. Amen. Many of us in the room know the story. Daniel chapter six. We know from the earlier part of the book of Daniel that Daniel, along with some of his friends, were taken into captivity by the Babylonians. And it's interesting what happens in the very first chapter of Daniel. A statement is made here that I think it's very interesting. In the very first chapter of Daniel, verse 8, it says, But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief priests. I'm sorry, in sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, fear, I fear my lord, the king, who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who were your own age? We know the story. The way the situation ended up, that Daniel and his friends who refused to defile themselves by eating the king's food, they ended up looking much healthier, even though they did not eat the food that was offered to them. And so I thought about that even as I began chapter 6 of Daniel. And if you have a Bible... I'd love if you would turn there. Daniel chapter 6, it begins that it says, It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom. Now at this point, what's happened is that the Babylonians have been defeated. Now the Persians are in power. And this king whose name is mentioned and there's a lot of controversy as to uh, who this guy is, because in history, there's no knowledge of a Darius being the king of Persia. So many scholars are thinking that what it's really referred to is King Cyrus, the Persian king. But anyway, there's this new leadership. And under this new leadership, it says that um, 
throughout the whole kingdom and over three presidents. He says, Daniel was one in whom the set traps gave account. So the king might not suffer loss. It says, verse 3, this Daniel became distinguished above all other presidents and set traps because what? An excellent spirit was in him. One of the things I want to talk about this morning is a man living his life on purpose. A man living his life with a sense of intentionality. A man living his life with a sense of resolved. On purpose, not on accident, not haphazardly, but actually with a goal in mind. The first word I want you to think of is the word determined. Because the text says he resolved in his heart. Synonym for the word resolve can be the word determination. Because of his resolve, because of his determination, his commitment to his God, The Bible says that there was an excellent spirit in him that separated him from all the other leaders. And even after new leadership from the Babylonian from the Babylonian leadership to now Persian leadership, Daniel is still being exalted now to a place of being the top three in the kingdom over many others. And it says that what was special about him is that there was this excellent spirit in him. And I submit to you that that's none other than the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit flows through a life of a man who has resolved in his heart, has resolved in his spirit, that his commitment to God is the top priority in his life. And he will not allow anything or anyone To move him from that position. So I want you to think it through this morning. What have you determined in your life to do for God? What have you committed? What have you resolved to do? And you say to yourself, I'm not going to allow anything. If that's even as simple as every day, I'm going to get up and I'm going to spend quality time in prayer. Or I'm going to go to this homeless shelter or I'm going to be involved in this ministry or I'm going to help guys that are struggling in their marriage. I'm going to help young men mentoring them, whatever it is. What have you determined in your life that this is what I know beyond a doubt that God has called me to do? Oh, I wish I had time to give you my personal testimony. Maybe you guys can have me back at another time. But let me just give you the abridged version of it. I grew up in Kansas City, Missouri, and in the 50s, African-Americans were still referred to as colored people. Anybody remember those days? So I was a little colored boy growing up in the 50s, and my father and mother wanted a better life for us, and so they moved us from the inner city to an all-white neighborhood in Kansas City, Missouri, because they wanted a better life for us. I'm 10 years old. In the fifth grade, every day, literally every day, going to school, I was either spit on, I was either beat up, my lunch money taken, my lunch taken, name called, every name that you can think of, and even stuff I had never heard, I dealt with that. And I remember coming home to my mom and dad, and I said, Mom, I said, 
you know, they're calling me these names, these things I've never heard. And they keep beating me up. And I tell the teacher and nothing happens. And I said, well, why did you do this? And so she reminds me, she says, because my, your dad and I wanted a better life for you. Now, as a kid, you know, 10 years old, it didn't seem better to me. But see, what I didn't know is that this was a part of God's sovereign plan to put me in a situation to begin to prepare me to be in a situation. And it's happened now almost all my life where I'm the only person oftentimes in the room of color. He prepared me. And I had no idea that he was using that to prepare me. The good news is this morning, I'm not the only one in the room of color. Isn't that good news? And this was the beginning of a process in my life that really began to shape me. Because as a young teenager, the same things begin to happen in my community. And then when I went to the Air Force in 1969, instead of being sent to Vietnam, I was sent to Italy, to an Air Force base there. When I got to my Air Force base, the very same thing happened. But now I'm a little bit older. I'm 19 and I'm going to speak up for myself. And so I spoke up for myself. My sergeant came to me one day and he said, Willie, um, you've been scheduled for an appointment with the base psychiatrist. Guys, I'm only a kid. I'm only 19. Hadn't even turned 20 yet. So if you're in the military, if anyone ever been in the military, you obey an order. So you're going to have to go three days TDY to V-Spot Air Force Base in Germany. Yes, sir. I get on the plane. They put my legs in restraints. They put my arms in restraints. Sent me to V-Spot Air Force Base in Germany. When I got to Germany, they began to force me to take 27 pills a day, nine pills, three times a day, in a little white cup. What I didn't know is that at the particular time, President Nixon is in office. Some representatives are being sent from Washington to my Air Force base because they heard about some accusations that were happening to airmen of color. And what I didn't tell you, I had been chosen to be the spokesman for our grievance committee. And I found out later that myself and all the guys on the grievance committee got busted in rank, got separated. And my wife thinking that I was only going to be there for three days. Next thing I know, I'm on an, air, I'm on an airplane on my way to Wichita Falls, Texas, huge hospital there in Wichita Falls, Texas. And when I wouldn't take the medicine in the cup, they would hold me down. Corman would hold me down and they would shoot me in the hip. I still have scars today from being shot in the hip with the medicine. Now, I'm not a Christian at the time. I'm not knowing what's going on. But it was all a part of God's sovereign plan to put me in a situation to teach me a very important lesson. So you need to know. When I got out of there, I was a super, super, super bitter young man. And I was prime, I was prime pickings for a group called the Nation of Islam, a very racist 
organization. At that time, that was led by a man named Elijah Muhammad, which is now led by a man named Louis Farrakhan. Dangerous man. But I was easy pickings at the time. And they were saying all white people are devils and we need to get them. And if we can't get them, give us our own little city, our own little place and just leave us alone. So I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. After what happened to me. But I had no idea that God was using all of that negativism in my life, even though seven months in that hospital. To teach me. About his love and to teach me about his grace. Finally was discharged. The Lord showed me one night. I'm on the phone with an insurance man and he says, Willie, are you a Christian? I said, yes, sir. He says, well, how do you know? I said, well, when I was seven years old, I was baptized and he hurt my feelings, guys. He said, you know what, Willie, only thing happened to you. You went in the water, a dry center, and you came out a wet center. He says... He says, water baptism is, doesn't save you. I said, well, if it doesn't, well, what does? And I'd never heard it in my life. I'd never heard this phrase in my life. He says, Willie, you need to have a personal relationship with Jesus. I was 23 years old. I had never heard the phrase before. That night, I said, Lord, I'm struggling with this nation of Islam people because they're telling me to hate everyone who's white. And this man is talking to me about Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is saying to love everyone regardless of their color. So, Lord, what do I do? And I remembered something that my mother taught me. And she says, son, any religion that preaches hate could not be of God. So that night I made the call. I don't want it. Don't want anything to do with it. I'm ready, sir. Tell me what to do to become a Christian. That night, 920 p.m., September the 10th. 1973, on the phone with this prudential insurance man, I trusted Jesus Christ as my personal savior. And from that point on, I've committed my life to serve whomever he chooses me to serve, regardless of their skin color, their background, or anything. I am your slave, and I like it. How do you like that? You want me to wash your feet? Just give me a bucket of water. Want me to do a painting? You want me to uh, fix the plumbing? Doesn't matter to me because I came to the realization that serving Christ is the greatest feeling on earth. When you see someone's life changed because you serve them, man, can't beat it. Daniel had this thing in him that he was determined that he was going to serve God and he was not going to allow anything to change him. Listen, we're at a dangerous crossroads in America. A dangerous crossroads. And America is looking for men that will stand up for the truth of God's word not have to be politically correct, but biblically correct. Amen? Amen. And if you will stand with God, just like he stood with Daniel, he will do awesome things in your life. Daniel was determined. But even in the midst of his determination, his haters, if I can use that phrase, that modern phrase, his haters 
wanted to find something to accuse him of. But the text says they couldn't find anything. They couldn't find any error. As a matter of fact, look at it. It says here in verse Four, it says, the presidents and the citraps sought to find ground of a complaint against Daniel with regard to his kingdom, but they could find no ground, no complaint, or nor any fault. He was faithful, and no error or fault was found in him. This is interesting. Then the men said, we will not find any ground of complaint against Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. The only way that we're going to get this guy is going to have to be in connection to his religious commitment. It's going to have to be in connection with his faith. We can't find any other way to trap him because we're jealous of his leadership. We're jealous of what God's doing in his life. So let's find some kind of way to get him. And we know what happened. They, they, they hatched this plan. King, you know, uh, you, you're a God, and I, I, why don't you do this? For the next 30 days, make a decree that if anyone wants to request anything, if they need anything, if they go to any other God but you, they'd be thrown into the lion's den and punished. So the king signs the decree according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, and it's set. But what the king didn't know is that these guys were doing it purposely, not because they really cared about the king, but they hated Daniel. And once the king found out about it, then guess what? Then Daniel does something that really shocks me and it should shock you guys. It says once Daniel heard about it, as a matter of fact, in verse uh, verse 10 of the text, it says when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. These, then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Did you see that? Once he knew that the law had been signed, it's sealed, it can't be changed, then he decided, you know what? I am going to defy this law. Because if I heed this law, then I've defied even a greater law. That's the law of my God. So what did he do? He made it known. He opened the window. So when he prayed, he wanted everyone to hear him praying to his God. And as he turned toward Jerusalem, because Jerusalem represented the great city, it represented the presence of God. He says, I want you all to know that my God and my commitment to my God is greater than even the king. So the second word I want you to know is that he was disciplined. It was what he normally did. His normal pattern was to pray. How often? Three times a day. And even in spite of this law, he continued to do what he always did because he was a man of discipline. And guys, I'm learning in my own life, many of us are living an undisciplined life. Disciplined life. I encourage you, if you've never read this book, it's a great book called The Spirit of the Disciplines by Dallas Willard. Many of you probably have heard the book, The Spirit of the Disciplines by Dallas Willard. It's a great book 
where you can learn about spiritual disciplines. And one of the disciplines that just really surprises me, and I have the greatest struggle with this discipline, is the discipline of quietness. Went on a retreat one time, and they were supposed to do this discipline, and so the whole retreat is quietness. Just you communing with God. Man, how difficult it was for a preacher who loves to talk (laughs) to be quiet and just listen to God. The discipline of prayer, the discipline of meditation, the discipline of, of fasting, the discipline, spiritual disciplines. Daniel said, I don't care what you do to me. My devotion, my determination, what to be committed to God is greater than any law that you could do. Because if I defy this law, that's the ultimate law. I made a vow as a young man. God and his service is greater than anything. And I wouldn't be surprised, fellas. There may come a time in the United States of America. Where we're given a law that says you Christians can't do that anymore. Don't be shocked in our lifetime. It may happen. We've already seen it many times at football games. If you remember the time at the football games, at the beginning of the football games, after the national anthem, what someone would pray. Anybody remember that? And right now, across America, there are many football games. If you stand up and pray, and you better not say, in Jesus' name, you could go to jail. What? To pray at a football game? And to say, Jesus' name? So don't be surprised. If in our lifetime that we'll have to make a decision, whose law should I obey and disobey? I'm reminded of Peter in the book of Acts chapter five. Remember when he says they said, stop teaching in this name. And he says, well, we don't know what we should do. But one thing we need to do, we know we're going to do what we need to obey God rather than man. If it comes to a point like that in your life, I pray. That you decide, even if it costs you your job, if it costs you some position, even if it costs you your life. I'm going to do what God says. And I don't care what the president, what the Supreme Court, or what anyone else says. Because my ultimate judge that I must stand for one day is the Lord Jesus Christ. So Daniel was... Determined. He was he was resolute. Daniel was disciplined. And then finally. Daniel was delivered. We know the story. He gets thrown into the lion's den. And the king wanted so bad to save Daniel. As a matter of fact, the text says the king fasted all night once he had Daniel thrown into the lion's den because the truth was he didn't really want to do it, but now he's set up. He's in a situation where he's got to keep his word. It's already been signed. The law's in place. He's got to follow through with it. And so look what the text says. He says in verse 18, the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him and sleep fled from him. Then at daybreak, the king arose and went into haste into the den of lions. And he came near to the den where Daniel was. He cried out in the tone with anguish. And the king declared, oh, Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? You hear that phrase? 
the God you serve, what? Continually. So I made a little note to myself. Devotion. Continually. You see, a man who's living his life on purpose is a man who is determined to live for God no matter what the cost. A man who's living his life on purpose is a man who understands what he must be disciplined. He must be consistent, not haphazardly, not every once in a while, but consistently, moment by moment, because that's what people are looking for, especially in leadership, looking for consistency. And then Daniel was a man that was devoted to God. The king says, who you serve continuously. I love what the text says. Verse 22, Daniel says, my God sent his angel, shut up the lion's mouth. and They have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad, commanded that Daniel be taken out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found in him. Why? Because he had trusted in his God. I'm on my way to speak at a youth conference in Johnson, Tennessee. And have you ever been driving in your car and it rains so bad that you cannot see? I mean, I'd never seen rain like this before. I mean, the windshield, nothing is helping. People are pulling all off of the freeway up under the overpasses because of this unbelievable rain. But I've got a problem. I'm supposed to speak like at about six o'clock. And I've got about 1,500 kids waiting for me to speak. And so I, I'm running late. I, I, I'd engage the time properly in terms of how long it was going to take me to get there. And now once it starts raining, then everything slowed down. So like I'm, I, I'm in a panic. I, I've got to get there. The kids are waiting on me, but it's raining so bad and I, I can't stop. I, 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 I got to get there. And all of a sudden, my wife and I see these red lights in front of us. All we could see is this red taillights. We didn't know if it was a car. We didn't know it was a truck. And the red taillights were just moving, just wouldn't stop. So we couldn't see anything. So what we just did, we just focused on these red taillights. And after about maybe 100 miles, I mean, that's how long it was raining, about 100 miles, we finally recognized that this was a truck. And I think he realized that we were behind him and we were using him to help us to get down the road. I tell you, I got to the speaking engagement and it was so close. They had just finished their last praise song. I didn't have time to go to the restroom or anything like that. They rushed me right on stage. And all I could think of, I was in trouble. I was going to be late. I was going to be embarrassed. I was going to embarrass all those that invited me. But God used a truck to deliver me. Out of the storm so I could be used by him. Daniel was delivered. And he says, why? Because God was with me. See, in this room, here's something that I know beyond a doubt. I don't know anything that's going on in your life, but there's something I know. Something I know about you. Let me tell you what it is. 
Either right now in your life, you're in the middle of a storm. Or you're on your way out of a storm. Or you're on your way into a storm. It's going to happen. I'm old enough now to recognize it always seems to happen. Peace, 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 storm. Prosperity, 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 a storm is coming. It could be a financial storm. It could be a health storm. It could be a relationship storm. It could be, it's going, a storm is going to come. The issue is, when the storm comes, what do you do? The storm came in Daniel's life. But because he was determined, because he was disciplined, because he was devoted to God, God delivered him out of the storm. My prayer to you this morning is this. If you're in the storm right now, don't give up. Don't quit. Don't throw in the towel. If the stuff is so bad right now, maybe in your marriage, that if pastor, if he knew how serious your marital difficulties were, he might approach you, but you haven't told him. I challenge you. Stay with her. Pray for her. Commit your life to her. Don't quit. Old people used to say weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Live your life on purpose and God will deliver you father thank you thank you for Daniel's life thank you for my life Lord many mornings when I was in that hospital father I had no idea that I would be a Christian one day. I certainly had no idea that I'd be standing and speaking before brothers like this. But Lord, you allowed all of those storms in my life to be used to shape my heart. To give me something of substance to say that I know from personal experience that even though God puts you in a storm, he will bring you out. Daniel proves that you will protect us. And even if, even if it cost us our life, the Apostle Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. To live is Christ, he said, and to die is not loss, but to die is gain. Thank you for my brothers. Thank you for this great church and the leadership. And bless us for the rest of this day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us on this week's podcast. We hope you can join us in person. We meet Thursday mornings at 6.30 a.m. in the garden room of Houston's First Baptist Church. For more details and to register, you can visit us on the web at warriorsheart.org. That's warriorsheart.org.
Have a great day. Set you free inside.